Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Sure, that'd be a good place to start. Um, so this has just come in. This is uh, breaking news, which it's an L.A. thing, but uh, matters to the whole country, I think. Sheriff in L.A., you have that clip at Clip 29? Are you forcing your officers to set the vaccine, to get the vaccine? Uh, as I said, no, I'm not forcing anyone. The, the issue has become so politicized, there are entire groups of employees that are willing to be fired and laid off rather than get vaccinated. So I don't want to be in a position to lose 5%, 10% of my workforce overnight on a Mac vaccine mandate, while at the same time our bare bones with uh, the funding effort. So this is like the worst of two worlds right here. Wow. So we have to pick and choose. That's a good point. You're defunding the police at the same time that you have got a vaccine mandate, and I've got a good chunk of my workforce that says they'll quit rather than get the vaccine. So I'm not going to enforce the what he calls politicized vaccine mandate. That's the Los Angeles sheriff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I've got, I've got this so is, many. This Go is, ahead. This is such a... You know, with healthcare workers, with police departments, with schools. You know, and I didn't get that story. Um, you 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 mentioned it yesterday, but I didn't understand the tenor of the story all day long. Vaccine mandates work, and then here's the example how it worked in this school, this hospital, the NBA, whatever. Why is that such a headline? Why is that so? Yeah, if you tell people you're going to lose your freaking job, a lot of people will get the vaccine that didn't before. The question is whether or not that's okay. It's not whether or not they work. It's not surprising to me that if you threaten people with losing their careers, you can get more people to get the vaccine. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that was a given to me. That is not news or a surprise or like a win. But that proves it's good policy. Vaccine mandates work. Yeah, you threaten people's entire livelihoods. During a very scary economic time, and a bunch of people decided, well, I guess I'll get the vaccine rather than not be able to feed my family. What kind of weird flex is that? Well, it's it's the bright line between people of a conservative point of view and a progressive point of view. And I don't just mean liberals like, you know, uh, Matt Taibbi, for instance, or uh, Bill Maher. I mean the progressive types who believe that the government can exercise any power the government says it wants to. And if those people get the outcome they desire, they're not the least bit troubled that the government has exceeded, you know, by miles uh, any reasonable limit on its power. Whereas those of us uh, on the other side understand that there's some things we might want, but we can't empower the government to achieve us, uh, achieve it for us, or it would be too big, too powerful, too scary. By the way, Tim Sandifer, bottom of this here hour, he's involved in a case that you're really going to like around uh, your rights with your kids in school, kids at school. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a couple of quick COVID-related topics. Um uh, there's an article in the San Francisco Chronicle that's talking about a public meeting in San Francisco where, um, as they put it, uh, the area has been accepting, even enthusiastic, about various COVID lockdowns and limitations as part of that whole weird religious thing that's that's cropped up. People all alone, Golden Gate Park, the wind is howling off the Pacific, and they have a mask on. 
It's idiotic. It's superstitious. But they go into the fact that due to state orders, unvaccinated people will still be required to wear masks, even if the local mandate is lifted, although that requirement is awful and poorly enforced. And here's one business person saying, I'm just sick of the mask thing. Why do I have to not go in a shop? I'm fully vaccinated. Everybody in the business is fully vaccinated. This is idiotic. Well, we need to keep everybody perfectly safe, responds the health official. And um, and it goes into various you know oh, aspects yeah. of it and how nobody's ad- adhering to it except the people who want to. And it's having no no effect. They try to claim here that San Francisco's doing done very well on the COVID because it's been so strict with masking. Yeah, it's a tough conversation because I realize a bunch of you around the country live in places where you aren't wearing a mask anywhere and haven't for a long time, so it probably seems weird to you. I've got a buddy at his store in my county, you have to wear a mask. He said, I put on my mask because I think the customers want it. The customers are putting on the mask because they think I'm demanding it. And so we're all wearing the masks because we think we have to, but not because we're trying to protect ourselves from COVID. Right. Which is mostly true. In L.A., a new county health order will take effect late Thursday evening, requiring anyone age 12 or over attending a large-scale outdoor event like a college football game or whatever to show proof of full vaccination against COVID-19 or a negative test taken within 72 hours. Uh, this includes theme parks, Universal Studios, whatever. Even though if you're outdoors and vaccinated, there's no friggin' way you're going to get sick. And if you're outdoors and unvaccinated, there's almost no friggin' way you're going to get sick. And that's your choice anyway. So why would you make everybody wear masks? Everybody has to wear masks, by the way. Even the, uh, even the uh, vaccinated in LA County. It's just, it's just insane. I was in traffic, uh, last night and there was a guy that next to me, you know how when you're in traffic, you're like, with the same car for a very long time. Sure. Um, you get a little ahead of them, they get a little ahead of you, but you see them a whole bunch of times. And this guy had his mask on alone in his car, and I really wanted to, like, give him the roll down your window sign, say, just, dude, I'm just I'm just curious. It doesn't bother me. You get to do whatever you want, but I just would like to know, why are you wearing your mask alone in your car? Just just wonder what what what's making you want to do that. Right, right. And you remember we brought you the story yesterday. Rashida Talib of the squad was caught on camera saying, no, I'm only wearing a mask because I've got a, re- a Republican operative following me around videotaping me. Don't worry about wearing a mask. Nobody needs a mask. I'm just wearing it so I don't get busted. So this is a progressive member of the squad. And then we got an email from somebody, and I'm having trouble finding it for some reason. I swear I tucked it away, but um talking. Oh, yeah, I, I think I printed it. Uh, Jack, say something uh, charming. I'm going to grab it off the printer. I'm looking forward to talking to Tim Sandifer because the Goldwater Institute fights for freedom, and they are going to be fighting for your freedom around this whole uh, what schools are doing with kids and your right to speak up and all that sort of stuff. So we're going to have that at the bottom of the hour. It's a good one. That was charming. Well done. Major breakthrough in Parkinson's and dementia research coming up later this hour. So this is a note from uh, Scott. The entire Bay Area jointly announced the new guidelines for ending restrictions, and they include four requirements. One is that 80% of the county's total population, including children, is fully vaccinated. That's designed, obviously, to pit the vaccinated against the non-vaccinated. Now the vaccinated have a reason to hate the non-vaccinated. You're the reason I have to wear a mask in a grocery store. Even though if you're vaccinated and those masks do hardly any good, it's idiotic. One, another requirement is that the hospitalization in the jurisdiction, the hospitalizations in the jurisdiction are, quote, low and stable in the judgment of the health officer. So it's not even a mathematical provable goal. It's up to one unelected person's judgment. Goodbye, sweet America. The COVID has certainly exposed humanity's capacity for stupidity. 
and irrationality and the opposite of following the science. Just so, so much of the COVID thing is superstition. The New York Times, of all places, has a really good piece today about the fact that, hey, the uh, the Delta's plunging. Everybody predicted September 1st would mark an explosion of cases and deaths in those stupid red states and anybody without a mask on and blah, blah, blah. All those the football games. What about the football games with all those moronic college students without masks? Oh, my God. Right, and the kids going back to school and the rest of it? No, it's plunging. It's absolutely plunging. And to my shock and uh, and, and consternation, the point of this piece by David Leonhart, who's saying about half the time, said, <laughs> look, we just we don't know. And he requotes the guy he quoted earlier, um, whose name I don't recall, but he said he's a, a, an authority on this stuff, said, listen, we're in the caveman ages of understanding this stuff. All right. We need to have a little humility about our understanding. But as uh, David Leonhart uh, writes, and I think it's a good point, it's all become this morality play, a good guys, bad guys thing, because that's the way we like uh, stories to unfold. And he said, even in sports, which isn't a predetermined story, we, we hear about people who are clutch or people who choke. And he's a choker, except two years later, surrounded by different personnel, he wins three championships in a row. So that narrative was never really accurate anyway. And he says we're trying desperately to make, uh, on each side, the COVID thing a morality tale about the good guys and the bad guys. When we don't know squat about this thing, we're doing our best. But And, and I would suggest, hey, call me a crazy libertarian, if you are clearly... In the caveman days of understanding something, you shouldn't suspend people's liberty based on your theory, especially months and months and months after your theory has been disproved. But now it's become a religious argument and people are dug in. So before we take a break, coming up is your uh, car racist or going to be racist. Um, yeah, your car. Man, I'm, gu- I'm guessing it's not, by the way, but I'll, I'll stay tuned. I don't know if you've seen this video. It's a little little rough to look at. But man plunges nine stories from a high-rise, lands on a BMW, and survives. In fact, he survived, and he was, like, talking, which is really weird. A man plunged nine stories from a high-rise in New Jersey, landed on a BMW 330i. I don't know why they tell us that. Um, and uh, then stood up with his right arm dangling at his side and said, What happened? Yikes. Isn't that something? Nine stories is a long way to fall. Um, Someone was there, said, I heard a big boom, didn't know it was a person at first. The back window of the car just busted out, exploded. Then the guy jumped up and started screaming. His arm was all twisted up. I was like, oh, my God. And he was was yelling, what happened? What happened? You plunged nine stories onto the top of a BMW 330i. Why is the model of the car important? He uh, he fell into the car through the sunroof, then climbed out of the car and fell on the ground. Uh, he was talking to people. And people said, stay down, stay down. You don't know how hurt you are. Ambulances came and took him off. Um, he was trying to kill himself, so he's bad at this, too. So oh, that's boy. not going to help anything. Well, you're a failure through and through. Oh, so. geez, that's not even funny. Not even funny. I disavow. I disavow. That's got to be what he's thinking. No, he's probably thinking, thank God I'm alive. That was a mistake. No, that's not what he said when he was laying there. He said, leave, right. leave me alone, I want to die. Well, okay, so I missed on that one. Of course, he'd just fallen nine stories onto a BMW 330i. <laughs> <laughs> so he was probably not in his right mind. To nail down the exact make and model of car, which yeah. may have been a racist car. Oh, boy. Uh, that story and others on the way. <laughs> 
Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Breaking news. 18 former NBA players are charged with trying to defraud the league's health and welfare benefit plan out of nearly $4 million. They're accused of submitting claims for medical and dental services they were never done. The ex-players got about $2.5 million. Okay, look, look, I know a lot of people are shocked by this, but guys, why are we surprised? Pretending to be hurt is a huge part of playing in the NBA. Which, by the way, I'm all for. I think men shouldn't be afraid to express when they're hurt. Uh, that's basically just to let you know the story, if you haven't heard it. Uh, a, a whole bunch of NBA players uh, involved in a medical fraud where they were all pretending to be hurt and, and making getting millions of dollars out of the deal. So but they got busted. And it's a pretty big crime with some pretty big penalties. Wow. Wow. Fake dental bills? Hey, let me pay this off quickly. Oh, by the way, what's Tim going to be talking to us about? Tim the Lawyer? Fan favorite Tim the Lawyer? School board or a school system uh, trying to silence parents who got information via Freedom Information Act uh, request. Um going after the parents for speaking the truth. It's yeah. just another chapter in this crazed war between parents and these school systems that are out of control. Well, now the government label, labeling them all terrorists and that sort of thing, it's, it's right. weird. Yeah. Um, the Your car may be racist thing, just to pay this off, I thought it was kind of interesting. So uh, he talks about Tesla, but this is true for all modern AI systems. So they started making these artificial intelligence systems years ago. And they're still using the same base of the technology for AI systems and building upon it. I'm not smart enough to, like, really understand how this means. But, like, rather than rebuild something, they build on the base that was started many years ago. Well, just in the way that, you know, back in the day, all G.I. Joes were white and all Barbie dolls were white, these AI systems, when they were making them with humans in them, the humans that they used in AI systems were all white. And so they've built upon this for many, many years, and they're finding that... Or they, they're concerned that. I don't know if they've found that this is going to actually happen. But they're concerned that the uh, in the way that uh, Tesla cars have not, the auto, automatic driving cars have not been recognizing emergency vehicles alongside the road with their lights on in some mm-hmm. cases. And that's disputed. But um, uh, because it wasn't programmed specifically into the AI, they think that perhaps not programming specifically in dark-skinned people because it's only designed to recognize white-skinned people. Uh, that they're going to have some problems on down the road. Hmm. Now, whether that sets a real fear or not, I'm not smart enough to know. But I just thought that was interesting and and not really that surprising. No, I, I I'm such an ignoramus about how these things actually work that all I can say is, hmm. Uh, let's hope not, and let's hope they can fix it. Yeah. So speaking of uh, science, scientists believe they've found the culprit behind nearly all neurological diseases. This is an enormous breakthrough that Holy could offer cow. hope to millions. God, I'd say. Now, it's not clear how soon. Yeah, do but, it fast. But dementia, Parkinson's that uh, took my mother this year, uh, and many other brain disorders are caused by key cells uh, called neurons dying over time. And researchers found that other brain cells known as astrocytes play a critical role in their death. 
What these star-shaped cells do, these astrocytes, is they help clear away toxic particles that build up in the brain naturally or after head trauma. Um, they, they like take care of dead neurons and nourish the living neurons. But laboratory tests on mice show astrocytes also release toxic fatty acids, like I said, to kill off damaged neurons. And sometimes they appear to malfunction and put out this uh, fatty acid that starts to kill and affect um, uh, living good neurons, neurons that you don't want to damage. After coming up with the theory that the two fatty acids were to blame, New York University researchers tested it in mice with brain injuries. Uh, mice that uh, drove their cars too fast, that sort of thing. Jeez. <laughs> oh, they genetically engineered half of the rodents to shut down the production of long-chain, saturated, free fatty acids and this chemical name that I can't hope to pronounce and compared them to a control group in engineered mice 75% of the neurons survived while in normal mice only 10% of the neurons survived um, so they're studying exactly why these astrocytes produce the toxin and what happens to make them go wild but they think they have the culprit for dementia Parkinson's and other neurological diseases I hope they're right oh boy how huge would that be yeah, it's difficult to put a timeline on this sort of thing. They say uh, uh, he cautioned the technique used in mice is not ready to use on humans, but the researcher's next plan is to develop ways to use this treatment in people. So that's the racism. As Joe mentioned, it's an ongoing battle with a bunch of different fronts between parents of school kids, school boards, teachers, that whole thing, and longtime fan favorite of the Armstrong and Getty show, Tim Sandifer, is now involved with his legal mind. Uh, we'll talk about all that coming up next on the Armstrong and Getty Show. If you miss an hour, go to armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. Does the administration agree that parents upset about their kids' curriculums could be considered domestic terrorists? Well, let me unravel this a little bit because the National School Board Association is not a part of the U.S. government. Regardless of the reasoning, uh, threats and violence against public servants is illegal. When I was at the Justice Department, it was focused on going after MS-13. Now, apparently, it's going after parents of 13-year-olds. Well, attacking school board members has always been illegal. Anyway, uh, the, uh, the the battle between parents and school boards and teachers and kids and everything, it just keeps getting hotter and hotter and hotter, it seems. The rhetoric certainly gets hotter. Indeed. Yeah, and the Goldwater Institute has entered the fray. Tim Sandifer, Tim the lawyer, vice president for litigation at the Goldwater Institute, joins us. Tim is the author of many fine tomes, including uh, The Right to Earn a Living, The Permission Society, and, and many other fine things. Tim, how are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's always a pleasure. And so I heard tell- you. I heard George Will mention you on the podcast the other day. So congratulations on that. That was very cool. Thanks. He's always been very kind about my work. He called himself a student of yours. I mean, come on. That was that. That blew me away. I, I admit, I had to text my mom when I heard. Yeah. That. How would you not? George Will wouldn't mention me unless I rear-ended his car while texting. <laughs> it's just it's not going to happen. Um, so, Tim, uh, tell us about this case. How did you uh, come to be involved in the whole uh, Fairfax School District versus moms situation? 
Well, what happened with here was these two mothers in Fairfax County, Virginia, filed a Freedom of Information Act request to get information about how the school board was spending money on lawyers. They think that the school board spent too much money on legal representation. So they just asked for to see the receipts. And the government turned over the receipts. And then it realized that they were a little embarrassing. And by that time, these two mothers, Callie and Deborah, Callie had published this uh, information on her website. So the school board sued her, demanding that she delete it from her website and not disseminate the information contained in the documents that they lawfully acquired, which is a blatant violation of the First Amendment. So they called us and we filed a, a, a motion just yesterday asking the court to throw their lawsuit out and to allow them to publish information that the First Amendment allows them to publish. Now, clarify a couple of things. As I understand it, there were no kids' names involved. Was was there any right. sensitive personnel information involved, uh, names and addresses or anything? Well, the, some of the documents that the school board turned over, yeah, they had failed to redact some of this information. Callie then went and redacted it and posted it on her website. And the school board does not claim otherwise. Their lawsuit, they do not actually say that she published any kind of sensitive confidential information or anything like that. They've put that in their press releases because they're trying to smear her. But in fact, she did not do that, and they don't claim that she did. Instead, what they say is this information is, is our information, and we want you to return it. They say return, which I think is so bizarre because there are no physical documents. These are just computer files. I don't know how you return a computer file. But anyway, so the court has ordered them not to disclose the information in these receipts that shows how much the school board is spending on its legal representation, which, again, is totally unconstitutional. The Supreme Court in the in the Pentagon Papers case said that the nation's leading newspapers had a First Amendment right to publish stolen military documents in a time of war. Well, certainly my clients have the right to publish information that they legally obtained from the school district that are just government documents. Well, I find myself wondering, and, and I know, you know, bad-mouthing judges isn't really cool if you're, you know, having a case <laughs> before them, but what the hell was that judge thinking? Well, a lot of the time judges want to hold things still until they get a chance to, to hear the, the, the arguments of both sides and things like oh. that. So they or- and that's really unfortunate because it is unconstitutional to forbid uh, uh, Cali from publishing this information. So we've asked the court to reverse that, and, and we're going to have some briefing on that going forward. But this is just another example of what you said at the beginning of the segment, that the, this is a, a, a trend of school boards bullying parents and trying to intimidate them when they stand up to either challenge what's going on in the classrooms that their tax dollars pay for, or in this case, just ask questions that they're legally allowed to ask. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about, and I didn't know if, you know, since you're actually involved in the case, if you're willing to go kind of macro on this, but you just did, on uh, what is going on nationwide? Is it because it's the first time in so long that parents have mobilized and challenged these people and they're not liking it? I think that's exactly what it is. And we are, we're doing another case, similar case in Rhode Island, where a parent asked for information, and the, the teacher's union sued her for simply filing the request. And that case is still going on. So, I, yeah, I think what's happening is that the, the, especially the unions, especially the teachers' unions, they see government schools as their fiefdom, as their domain. And, and how dare we mere citizens, mere taxpayers, try to control how our tax dollars are being spent and what is being propagandized in the government classroom. Well, what's that, uh, that candidate that's likely to win governor over there in Virginia uh, who said in one of the debates the other night, we, we can't have a system where the, the, the parents are deciding what we teach in schools. 
That's what he yeah, said in right, the debate. Yeah, Terry, Terry McAuliffe, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the whole vision, you know, the, the, the public school system as we know it today is largely the creation of the progressive movement of the early 20th century that designed the current public school system as a means of instilling in children what the government thinks children ought to think and believe. As Woodrow Wilson once said, the schools exist to make the children as unlike the parents as possible. And, and I think a lot of public school teachers and the teachers unions really take that seriously. And they really don't like the idea that parents might be interfering with the education of their own children. It's, it's really a shocking way of, of abusing power, but that's what's going on. And it's worth pointing out that this, the teachers unions are extremely effective at getting sympathetic school board members uh, elected. So many, many school boards are, are leaning way that you, way you sang, and toward progressive causes and philosophies. You, you saying that, Tim, makes me want to ask you, what, what is your feeling about the public school system in general? I mean, I know you're adamantly not going to have kids, but if you had kids, would you put them in public school or not? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, and, uh, and in a lot of the school districts in this country, I think the, the best thing you could possibly do for your family is to withdraw your children from the government school district. The government schools exist largely to, to propagandize to children what the government thinks they ought to know. And although there was at one time a standard of quality that you could find in some government schools, I think that standard has just totally collapsed, no matter how much money we throw at it. And that's always the argument on this side. Oh, we don't get enough money and when you actually look at the amount of money. It's scads of yeah. money that we oh, yeah. throw into the public school system. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, and it's multiples what private schools uh, spend to achieve better educational outcomes. And we're, I, able, and we're able to stay open during the pandemic with much less money. Right. I think it's absolutely tragic and heartbreaking. New York City schools, which have systematically lowered standards and passed kids ahead, particularly poor kids, kids of color uh, who can't read and write, they've now eliminated their programs for uh, gifted and talented education. Now we have completely, well, New York has completely eliminated the idea of some kids who are very bright need to be challenged more. I it's, think you know, it's disgusting i've i've said i've said before on the show that government people think government is our parent and it's not government is our child it both it, we pay its bills it's our job to discipline it and yet we think somehow it's okay to turn over to the government our youngest citizens that our, our future citizens our future generations to be taught by the state about what to desire and not desire, what to think and not think about our past, about economics, about you know the, all the big questions. Is it any wonder that so many of them graduate thinking that the government is right and, and the, the only solution to our problems is government? The, I, I think it's a terrible idea in any democracy to turn over the, the minds of our young uh, would-be citizens to the hands of the state. Yeah, I don't want to get too far off track, and we can get back to your specific case if you want to in a second, but uh, the podcast I was referring to the other day where George Will of the Washington Post was being interviewed about his book when he invoked you was when he was talking about this new move toward equity as opposed to equality, and he said this is the, the, the most radical thing that has happened in 240 years of this country's history that we're moving toward wanting equal outcomes for everybody and uh you know and that's the sort of thing they're obviously teaching in schools absolutely 40 years ago the the big debate among philosophers was what is justice does justice mean equal outcomes or does it mean the ability to pursue your own happiness and and uh, attain it and nowadays we've just skipped over that argument entirely and it's as if we just assume that justice means equal outcomes 
And so we're just going to pursue equity, which means taking away from those who have more and giving to those who do not and judging people on the basis of color because their ancestors were discriminated against and so forth and so on in order to equalize outcomes because we just assume that that's justice. Well, that's not justice. It's injustice. Tim Sandifer's on line, vice president for litigation at the Goldwater Institute. Uh, Tim, I want to turn back to the topic of schools, at least for a minute. The uh, infamous Merrick Garland memo of the other day in which he made it clear that the Justice Department would be looking into. And it was it was a very wishy washily worded memo. But in, in essence, any sort of fracas at school board meetings nationwide. What do you think of my my test case yesterday was uh, I get a little uh, out of hand. I'm, I'm pissed off. I'm at a school board meeting. I get mad and I say to somebody who who tried to shut me down, one of the school board members, somebody ought to kick your ass. Do you think yeah. the FBI right. ought to be involved in that? You know, the vagueness of the memo is the goal, because it is true that there have been a few incidents of parents going too far and, and actually, you know, threatening or, or even harassing or intimidating school board members. And of course, that's illegal and wrong. But the way this memo is written is to allow people in the government to smear those who simply, you know, get angry or are really passionate about something, to smear them as if they're engaged in some kind of violence. And we know this has been the rhetorical trick in the past couple of years to use words like violence or, or um, safety in ways that don't make any sense. If you disagree with somebody, now all of a sudden that's an act of violence and you're, you're harming their safety and so forth and so on. And that's, what this me- that's why the memo is written vaguely, in order to use it as a club against people who simply get angry at the way their school boards are misspending their money and mishandling their responsibilities. You know, Tim, you, for me, are one of the mad ones, the ones who are mad to live, mad to talk, mad to be saved, desirous of everything at the same time, the ones who never yawn or say a commonplace thing. I thought I'd hit you with a little Kerouac poem based I on a tweet. I thought that must be Kerouac. <laughs> oh, boy. What's going on here? What the hell are you two up to? Yes, I can, I can, I can do without the beat generation, you know. <laughs> There's a Quillette article out saying the, the, the beat generation is about to be canceled, and Tim retweeted that and said, I don't think that'd necessarily be a bad thing. So, as a <laughs> oh fan of Jack God. Kerouac poetry, and Tim being a published poet, I thought that'd be a good thing to throw in there. In oh fact, my. I have a book of poetry coming out next spring. There you go. Oh, cool. I guarantee you we will love to have you on to talk about that. All right. Fantastic. All right. And I didn't see that coming. Tim, the lawyer, <laughs> Tim, Tim Sandifer, vice president for litigation at the Goldwater Institute. Uh, we will, uh, you know, we need to post a list of Tim's books. Although, if you know how Google works, you can find them because uh, they're <laughs> terrific. Tim, uh, we appreciate the time. Thanks a million. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. All right, you got it. Tim, as a real highfalutin poet, is not a fan of uh, Beat Generation poetry. i got to admit that the Ginsburg Howl I've read a hundred times and I don't get at all. I don't understand why it's a masterpiece. That doesn't mean it's not, but I don't get it at all. If the proverbial uh, infinite number of monkeys and infinite number of typewriters cranked out something and I read one of them at random, it would make as much sense to me as that uh, thing did. Or uh, William Burroughs' Naked Lunch, which I've attempted to read many times and just can't get more than four pages in. But... Some of the Jack Kerouac poetry about walking the streets of San Francisco in the middle of the night going from dive bar to dive bar, as a guy who's done that a thousand times, I thought was absolutely just brilliant stuff. The legendary Third and Howard, and if I get drunk, I get. I mean, there's some good stuff in there, I think. And if you've never checked out uh, Kerouac reading those poems with Steve Allen playing the piano on The Tonight Show, it's really cool. Sounds like verbal pornography for drunkards to me. I don't approve. <laughs> well, it might be. I won't have it. It might be, actually. Um, that was good stuff right there from Tim. And if you just caught the tail end of it on the podcast, you can catch it. Just go to armstrongandgetty.com. 
Australian U.S. research firm Internet 2.0 says the Chinese province that was the epicenter of the first COVID-19 outbreak initiated a dramatic increase in buying PCR tests, the type of kits Americans now use to test for the coronavirus in 2019, suggesting that, quote, the virus was highly likely to be spreading virulently in Wuhan, China, as early as the summer of 2019, and definitely by the early autumn. So that's the earliest we've heard yet. So COVID was bouncing around China in the summer of 2019 and reached our shores in, uh, you know, really in uh, in full in about February of 2020. And also significantly, China was well aware of it as they had a gigantic surge in purchasing those tests. If I hope we can get Dr. Scott Gottlieb on because he's making the rounds with this book. I, w- I would like to ask him. How realistic is it that, like, if we had reacted more quickly, remember when that first case showed up and it made the news, where it was, was it in Washington? I think it was in Washington. Yeah, the, the, the old folks' home there in the uh, Tacoma area, as I recall, was the first real uh, serious outbreak. Hold on, i got to sneeze here. Probably Uh-oh. COVID. Probably COVID, or you're soul escaping. Or fall allergies, which is its own interesting question. So they've got all these rules in schools all across the country where they send you that you must keep your kid home if they show any COVID symptoms. It's made a liar out of every parent because it's one cold season, two allergy season. Every kid, including mine sometimes, have had sore throats, runny nose, whatever. You can't keep your kid, and, and you don't just, it's just not a keep your kid home from school. They've got a sore throat. You got to keep your kid home from school for like 10 days if you announce that there's a sore throat. Same with faculty and staff, by the way. All sorts of school districts. I was just reading about San Diego's. They have, you know, randos teaching classes or administrators or or unqualified teachers or whatever. They're having to recruit the National Guard to drive school buses in some states. The the schools are empty of staff. Well, if you're going to follow the rules, I've talked to a whole bunch of different parents who admit that, oh, yeah, I've had to lie. I, I, I'm, I'm almost certain it's just allergies this time of year. I'm not going to keep them home for 10 days and then go through the whole contact tracing thing. Right. And it's just it's just kind of unrealistic. I understand why the schools are asking that. But anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, how realistic would it have been? I mean, if we had done the best job possible, would we have been able to, like, close down the state of Washington? Especially since I think most people now believe... That in, um, uh, you know, San Jose area, there was COVID earlier than that. It just wasn't diagnosed. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not I'm not sure it's that's why I want to ask Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He's the expert. It just doesn't sound to me like it's that likely we would have been able to shut it down anyway. You know, it's interesting you say that. I think six months ago, I would have given you a different answer. But right now, as I look at not only different counties and different states, different countries all over the globe, I'm not sure there's a ton you can do other than get vaccinated to to halt yeah. this thing. Although, again, it's worth mentioning, everybody, virtually everybody, predicted September 1st would mark the ex- uh, the fall explosion of cases and deaths. And instead, 
when everybody went back to school and college football games and uh, started to go inside because it was cold in certain parts of the country. People are coming back to the workplace too early, Joe. There's that too, right. Instead of being the uh, the beginning of an explosion, it marked uh, the peak and the rapid downward right. curve of the, the, the Delta variant. Because right, it's moving back. It does what it's going to do. Uh, a couple of stories that aren't uh, serious news. China still murdered millions of people, though. You know who Megan Trainer is? Remember, she burst on the scene with the, her... Uh, All about the base. About yeah. the base. Kind of a hippie chick. Hip says in hip, not hippie as in like long hair and beads. Not sure why you gotta She's go there. Hip, but... Well, that's the whole point of her song. Oh, okay. I got a big hiney and... Sounded like fat shaming to me. <laughs> That's her whole thing. I that's, won't have it. That's what has made her a gazillionaire with all her hair care products and beauty products and stuff like that, is that she's a curvy woman. Anyway, uh, she's married recently, and she defends her and her husband's side-by-side toilets. They're her, what now? Her and her husband have side-by-side toilets, as somebody Whoa. tweeted out, the apocalypse is upon us. Uh, after making headlines for revealing she and her husband have two toilets in their master bedroom side by side, she insists that they've only pooped together once since they've gotten married. Oh, <sighs> preserve a little mystery. I agree. Seriously. Yeah, let's let's each pretend that the other doesn't do that. Which I realize runs counter to all biological <laughs> needs of all beasts. But let's just each pretend yeah, that the other does not do that. There's knowing it. Then there's you know, having to deal with the immediate uh, you know, reality of it. And Lego has got their new biggest thing out ever. Their biggest set ever. And I've been talking for a long time that Lego has figured out that uh, 30-year-olds who live with mom and dad and have some money to spend are their target audience. There's, it's the Empire State Building, one-to-one scale. <laughs> it's life-size. There's a new 9,000-piece Titanic set that you can get for $630. If that sounds like a lot, it's not really out of line with a whole bunch of different sets they have at the Lego store. Hmm. Whether it's uh, football stadiums or the Friends TV set or what. Armstrong and Getty.